Hello, and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrei Matišák, and I work as the deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Davy Pravda, which, by the way, means truth, and it's not Russian Pravda. She hates him because of his politics. It's all about money and fame. Is this why E. Jean Carroll sued Donald Trump? Not at all, a friend of Carroll, Jennifer Taub explains. She's a law professor at Western New England University School of Law, author of the Substack newsletter Money and Gossip, and host of the podcast Booked Up with Jen Taub. In our debate, she dissected the verdict of the serial trial E. Jean Carroll versus Donald Trump, and we also discussed why she thinks that the Republican Party is the anti-women party. Read also her book, Big Dirty Money, Making White Collar Criminals Pay, and listen to our conversation. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on coffee. For the link, see also a description of this episode. And now, up to the new debate. Jennifer, a few days ago, you wrote on Twitter, interviews for my friend, Eugene Carroll. She brought her case against Donald Trump to restore her reputation. The jury unanimously found he had sexually abused her and defamed her. Have you had a chance to talk to her after the verdict? I have not yet had a chance to speak with her, but I did send her a text that had, you know, that kind of crying with joy emoji and a heart. And I do hope to see her in York. Can we look at the verdict briefly? The jury delivered a verdict that first stated that Carol had not proven that Trump raped her and next stated that Carol did prove that Trump sexually abused her and also stated that Trump defend Carol with false statements, and of course the jury award her a total of 5 million in damages from Trump. Why do you think, if I may ask, why do you think that in case of rape, the jury decided against her, but stated that Trump sexually abused her? That is such a good question, and it goes to the definitions of those words that the judge provided to the jury. When you look at what he said to the jury rape was, it was requiring them to find, more likely than not, that he had inserted his genitals inside of her. I'm sorry, there's no other way to kind of say this. So the language was it would have that that would have been required. And whereas with sexual abuse, that would be defined as any it would be sexual contact, meaning touching of uh, sexual or intimate parts of the person for the purpose of gratifying the sexual desire of the other party. Okay. So I think the reason why the jury wasn't able to come to the conclusion that it met the rape definition was because uh, when she testified herself, when she was asked, could she see what he was doing? And she couldn't, you know, there, there, she's um, there, she's against a wall. And so by, you know, she knew that it was, she felt that it was his fingers at first, that was very painful. But as for the rest of his anatomy, she was not certain because she couldn't see it. And so I think it's very reasonable for a jury to come to that conclusion, because even in her own testimony, without a visual aid, she wasn't certain. 
What about the defamation part of the verdict? Yeah, so what's interesting is with the defamation claim, defamation is a category meaning to to either write or to speak. So one is to you know to write or to speak. So that speaking would be slander. So that he had slandered her essentially. That he had set, had had uh, lied about her in a way that would damage her reputation. And the difference there is that to prove defamation, she had to prove not just more likely than not. It's a higher standard. It's called clear and convincing evidence. It's not as high as a criminal standard of having to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And so if we use numbers for the sexual abuse claim, she had to prove like 51%, you know, 50% in a hair, you know, just, just over 50% likely that he did it. In order to prove that he defamed her, they had to prove by clear and convincing. So that's probably, you know, two thirds. It's, you know, it's more than it's a higher standard. And because she is a public figure also that, you know, he acted maliciously. And so that's what she did. And the jury ultimately altogether awarded her nearly $5 million in damages. After the verdict, Gerhard said, I am overwhelmed, overwhelmed with joy and happiness and delight for the women in this country. Do you think the decision of the jury might have a real effect on American society? It must be also said that Trump appealed against the verdict. Uh, okay, so two things. One, I think that, yes, I think a lot of women who have been, and, and, and men, and children, you know, adult you know, children who are subject to sexual abuse or sexual assault admire her because they know how hard it was for her to come forward. I don't think that necessarily more people will come forward because, if anything, this case showed that you needed top-notch team of highly paid lawyers, the best in the country, bringing your case. And even so, even after she won the verdict, you still have the perpetrator going on cable television with an audience, something like, Four million people where he's still repeating the lie. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think it was a wonderful vindication that she stood up for herself and got her day in court. And I think it will change maybe some attitudes, but not others. In terms of the appeal, yes, he had 30 days and he's already filed the appeal. But under New York law, because he's filed an appeal, he'll be required to post bond. And usually a judge will say, so if it's a $5 million verdict, a judge will often require the bond, meaning someone to stand up and say they'll pay it should the appeal lose. It's usually over 100% because there's, you know, when you win a verdict, you get what's called post-judgment interest, a certain percentage, because if it's her money and he's holding on to it during the appeal and he loses the appeal, then he's going to owe her not just $5 million, but also interest. So that's going to be a surprise to him. He'll probably hire one of these bond companies, but they may not trust that Donald Trump will pay them because he doesn't pay people. So they will probably take some collateral to assure that he will pay. Conversely, if she loses the appeal, then I think usually that would mean she would have to pay some of the interest. So it's it's an interesting process in the American legal system. Yeah, it seems so. But Jennifer... Can you please assess the strategy of Trump's legal team? What did his lawyer try to achieve during the trial? And of course, many of us saw a video of Trump's deposition, which was, I think, partly laughable and partly horrible. So two things. You mentioned the video. That was a videotaped deposition. In the American legal system, the parties can call witnesses before the case and interview them under oath. 
And these days, they're also um, videotaped. E. Jean Carroll's lawyers had gone down last fall to Mar-a-Lago and took his deposition, interviewed him under oath. And yeah, you know, it was the lawyer who was representing him at the time at that deposition, Alina Hava, was not in court representing him. He switched lawyers, um, in part maybe because either she didn't prepare him enough or he realized what a terrible job he did at that deposition. And you said it was laughable. It was laughable because it was why in the world was he volunteering information that would sink his case, which he essentially did. So the lawyer in court who represented him, Joe Takapina, his strategy is a strategy that is commonly used by lawyers who defend those accused of rape, which is, in, and usually that's in you know criminal context. Here, this is a civil context for the battery, the sexual assault. But what he used is no defense whatsoever. He put no witnesses forward on his own. He only had listed two potential witnesses. One was potentially Donald Trump and one was a psychiatrist. He brought no witnesses in his entire case. Again, no evidence forward, no testimony. Like even though Donald Trump testified at the deposition, did not come you know, in, his only um, tactic was to attack the credibility of every single of the witnesses that, including E. Jean Carroll, that she offered on her side. And the strategy was to do so in such a way, I think they knew they would not there's nine jurors, it, you know, it had to be unanimous, but I think they knew that the best they could try to do is get a mistrial. That means if they couldn't get a unanimous verdict, I think the best thing they were hoping is that one of the jurors would be a holdout, and then this case would, would be delayed further. That didn't happen, and the way, you know, it was brutal in that decision was to, again, any detail, any fact, anything that he could pick up on that would make the jury not believe any of the witnesses was what he did. And so he had three. His theory of the case was um, that E. Jean Carroll and all these witnesses were inventing what they were saying for three reasons. One, because they hate Donald Trump and want to ruin his political future. Two, that E. Jean Carroll wanted money. And three, that she wanted fame. And I'm going to take this in reverse order, which is I'm not aware of a single woman who has come forward to accuse a man of sexual assault, a powerful man who gets gets fame and positive feedback from that. You know, we can see in our history, whether it was Anita Hill or Christine Blasey Ford or, you know, what have you. And even E. Jean Carroll was being attacked terribly. Secondly, going in reverse order, in terms of the money, her lawyers on closing didn't even ask for a specific dollar amount. The only evidence on damages was when they had an expert on social media and reputational harm to talk about what it would cost to place ads and do other kind of publicity campaigns to restore her reputation. And that was the only person who offered any money. And the, finally, the idea that they invented this story to hurt his political career, this sexual assault happened in the spring of 1996, allegedly. He was not running for office at the time. And you would have to believe that these folks not only came up with this idea then, but stuck with it through all these years. And that also you'd have to believe that story over the testimony of pe other pe people who uh, under oath said to women that he'd also done the same thing to them. And his own testimony at that deposition where he admitted that, unfortunately or fortunately, celebrities like him could kind of do whatever they wanted to women, including grabbing them by their genitals. I mean, this is so it's so ridiculous. Think that you would believe him 
over them. So the whole case wasn't even a he said, she said. It was a she said, everyone said, and Donald didn't even speak except through an atrocious videotape. His lawyer did not put that on as evidence. It was E. Jean Carroll's lawyer used that when they were doing their examinations of other witnesses. They were able to show that. I'm sure Carroll had been aware of the fact that it would be a very nasty fight just due to the nature of Donald Trump. You know her. Can you perhaps tell me why she decided to come forward? I only met her um, during COVID when you know people started creating friendships through people they meet online. So I met her because we were both tweeting similar things in 2021. So I didn't know her when she brought her first lawsuit, right? This is the second one she brought. The other one's still winding its way through court. But she, I think what happened is she decided to bring this case because she had no choice. And let me say why that was. She was working on a book that was kind of a satire. It was called, What Do We Need Men For? A Modest Proposal. The subtitle refers to a famous English author, Jonathan Swift, who wrote a few hundred years ago a book called, a, a pamphlet called A Modest Proposal, because at that time, people in England discriminated against the Irish, and there was a lot of poverty in Ireland. And so his piece was, maybe what they should do is Irish people should give their babies to the English who could then raise them um, and then eat them for food. Clearly, this was a satire. It's not even, it's funny only because it was trying to sort of send up or mock the British aristocracy for being so insensitive to the needs of the poor. That was the book he wrote. So her book, if you ever in America or in English language use a modest proposal as part of your title, it's a signal to readers that it's a satire. So her book, What Do We Need Men For?, was meant to be kind of a satire. But it. she started working on the book in 2018. She was going on the road to meet with different people. And right before she set off on her trip was right when the Me Too movement sort of picked up force. And it was right around when Harvey Weinstein was being accused by several actresses of sexual assault. And Eugene thought, you know, I, you know, this happened to me and I've tried to put it out of my mind over all these years, but maybe I should include this in my book. So she decided to do that. The book was ready for publication in like July of 2019. And an excerpt of the book was put out before the publication in a promotional way um, through New York Magazine. Donald Trump saw it, obviously was asked about it uh, by the press. And he not only denied it happened, but he said it never happened. I've never met her. She's doing this for money, and she's not my type. And she's not only that, you know, because she was an I should mention, her career was in being an advice columnist for Elle magazine, a women's magazine, since, you know, for 20-plus years. And he was destroying her reputation. They ultimately let her contract end. They fired her at the end of the year. But before that, because he was hurting her reputation, she sued him in November of 2019 for defamation. And so she kind of needed to do that. That case got kind of stalled because he was president at the time. He defamed her and they in the, had to go through the courts to figure out whether she could even sue him. That case is going to be in court soon. But in the meanwhile, while the discovery and depositions were happening for that case in this last fall in 2022, a new law went into effect in New York State that allowed adult survivors of sexual assault one year window to bring a claim because the statute of limitations would have run. And that was the way the law used to work. So she filed her claim at the very beginning of the one-year window for the sexual assault. 
But before she, she was going to file it in November, right before she filed that claim in October, he went on Truth Social, that social media site he owns, and said the same things he'd said about her before, that she's not my type, that she's making it up to make money and so on. But when he did that in October of 2022, he was no longer president. So whatever shield he thought he had as president was gone. So when she filed her case for sexual assault in November, she added this fresh defamation claim. So believe it or not, a case that she filed in November of 2022, and I knew her by then, she files this case in November 2022. That's the one that just went to trial in May that she won. So I've kind of known her through the second case, but not the first case. And I think the reason why she filed the second case is because she was just starting to get her reputation back. People were starting to understand. And then she's building up. She doesn't have a job at L, but she was building up a substack, And she thinks it really hurts her name and, and her trustworthiness. So she brought the second case and that's the one she just won. So we should see the other case coming through the courts now too. By the way, and I know every case is very different, but from the legal point of view, could this verdict also affect other cases? Yes. So the case that she, the first one she brought was just pure defamation. Because she was able to prove in court that he sexually abused her, that verdict can come into the case she's now bringing. So he's not going to be able to say it didn't happen. The, the jury's going to be told this happened. A jury, you know, this is a fact. She definitely was sexually abused. He did this to her. So now the only question is two things in that first case. One, did he defame her? Which they'll probably say yes, because she's. they did that before. And sorry, three issues. One, did he defame her? Two, when he did that, was he acting as in his presidential duties? Or was it sort of outside of the scope of his typical job a president would do, and then finally damages. So that's going to be an interesting case. That second part about whether he was acting within the scope of his employment, his lawyers were trying to, and the Department of Justice were trying to get a court to decide that he was. And the problem with that is if a jury, but that kept going through the courts and now it's going to be up to a jury. If a jury decides that he was acting in the scope of his employment, that this is the job of a president to deny sexual assault claims, then the case will just be dismissed because he'd be, there'll be the immunity. If, however, they decide he wasn't, then, the, then they can look into that next question about, you know, what they what he owes her. Just after the verdict, Trump got a chance to repeat all his lies and conspiracy theories in a prime time for the CNN town hall debate. And while a few Republicans criticized Trump after the verdict, it seems to me many are defending him, or at least they are saying that the whole trial wasn't important. How do you react to this? Look, if we didn't know that the Republican Party had been completely taken over by anti-women, you know, pro-force birth, pro-male domination, now we know it for sure. First, they take away the right to choose whether to carry a fetus to term, you know, abortion rights are taken away. And now we find out that women... You know, supposedly they want to say that you can have some people believe, oh, an ex, you know, an exception for rape. Some don't. But if there's an exception for rape, now we know you can never. It's very difficult to prove that anyway. And so the bottom line is this is a party that discounts women's autonomy. You know, women are there to be in service to men. And if they're physically abused or sexually assaulted, they should just shut up because they're going to be even if they're even if they take it to court, they in, in, in win. The men, if they have power, will still call them liars. And if they get pregnant, they will have to carry the rapist 
baby to term. I mean, it's, it's actually horrific. And I can't believe I'm saying these words, but this is what this crazy minority of people who Trump is catering to, who were able to put him in office back in 2016 because of our whole electoral college system, like he can lose a majority and still be in office. It's pretty frightening. And of course, the Republicans, for the most part, are standing up to that because that's what they value. That's what they value. And, you know, they've told us who they are and we need to act accordingly. They're a danger to women. Do you think that if this trial would happen, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, with the same result, it would destroy the political career or other and other careers of Donald Trump? Yes. And in fact, the book I wrote on white collar crime, if he had ever been, there were many, many civil cases that he settled with regulatory agencies. The Securities and Exchange Commission found made him settle a fraud case. There were money laundering cases that settled with his casinos. There was even while he was after he'd been elected, a racketeering case. What the regulators do with powerful people is they take their money, they settle the case and they move on. And when the criminal justice system fails to hold people accountable and when people are afraid, like, you know, Eugene was afraid to come forward. If she had brought the case then, though, actually, he wouldn't have said he never knew her because there might have been a videotape of them leaving the store. He would have said it was consensual. Right. He would have said she asked for it. And this case never would have gone forward. Right. So there, it's very hard to imagine. But if he had, if she had won a civil case or a criminal case previously, I don't think he could have gone forward because it, there he wouldn't have been able to get that far. But now here we are. But it seems that the legal walls of Donald Trump will only grow. He was already indicted by a Manhattan grand jury. He faces potential charges in Georgia. Federal charges from the special prosecutor involving the classified documents found in Mar-a-Lago, and also charges related to the events of January 6, 2021. Do you think he might win the GOP presidential nomination? Yeah. I mean, the people who are still voting and registered as Republicans are going to support him. Also, who are the other candidates? Who has actually announced? I mean, who can actually win against him? There's no one in their party. There it is. And it's really astonishing. Yeah, I think he can win the nomination. I don't think it's easy for him to win the general election. But remember what they were willing to do. He still thinks the vice president can, you know, throw this election to the states. Now, obviously, Kamala Harris, you know, isn't his vice president. But he's going to cook up all kinds of tricks. He wants to vindicate his last loss more than anything. It's not a great situation that we're in here over in the United States. I have faith that the vast majority of the American people have more than had enough with him. But anything can happen between now and November of 2024. We have two leading candidates, you know, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, who are very elderly. Anything can happen to their health. It freaks me out when I think about the different possibilities. So I think it's way too early to think about the to, to predict the general. But it's not too early to say he's more likely than not he's going to be the candidate. Can Trump win the nomination even if he is running from the jail? There will not be a jail sentence necessarily. Well, even if there is a conviction, that not might mm. it might be like home confinement. First of all, because of the Secret Service thing. Secondly. Even the Manhattan DA case, the earliest the trial will be is in the spring of this year. So at some point, we're going to be entering primary season well before 
that trial begins. I don't know at the federal level how long these things will take, but that's where we are. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on the other platforms. If you enjoy what I do, please support me on Coffee. For the link, see also the description of this episode. Thank you for listening and stay tuned. Thank you.